Hello, and welcome to the Uneasy Terrain Explorers Club podcast, the place where curiosity is welcomed and no topic is too taboo to tread. I'm your host, Jonathan Doe, and today I'm sitting here over Skype with the one and only Christy Canyon. How are you doing today, Christy? I am doing amazing, Jonathan Doe. Well, I appreciate you uh, taking the time to sit down and talk with me today. I think we're going to have a good conversation. I do too, and I love Ginger. I know Ginger Lynn, my my fellow legend, my bosom buddy, was on your show, and she just thought that you were fabulous. So anybody that she refers me to has got to be great. Awesome. Yeah, we had we had a good time talking, so I'm glad that she she shared that with you. Um, for everyone who's listening right now, I'm sure everybody knows who you are, but if there's anyone who's out of the loop, could you give us a brief introduction? Okay, well, if they don't know who I am by now, they're probably too young to be watching porn. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, I, I am one of the original VHS girls, which was uh, in the mid-80s when adult films went from 8mm film, you know, sketches you know chiseling on stone and then it jumped into the video age kind of uh kind of similar to that movie boogie nights if anyone saw that how it transitioned from you know a huge 10-day feature to like a two-day video and enter christy canyon 18 no money lived in a dump in Hollywood, met a guy, you know, I was waiting for my friend to pick me up because my piece of shit MG midget was broken once again. <laughs> and, you know, the guy pulls up in his cool Trans Am from that 84 era with the T-tops and the gold eagle on the hood. And he's like, hey, baby. I mean, it was, it's like right out of a porn what happened. <laughs> Want to wait in my car? And, you know, okay, like what? fucking person would do that in today's world but back in the 80s everything was so safe so i like get in because it's like 100 degrees and he's got the sheepskin so if anyone's like over 40 you remember geeky sheepskins that were all the rage back in the 80s (laughs) and uh you know you could be a figure model and i'm like yeah right i you know and i'm looking at my hands and my feet thinking yeah i got kind of nice hands long thin fingers never did play the piano but you know, and he's like, no, silly, this. And he, like, pulls out a hustler, and he's got, like, his pages clipped. And he flips it open, or, like, a paper clip. And it's him and a girl, Lisa Breeze, Crystal Breeze, Crystal Breeze, another girl from that, or even earlier than me. And it's like, oh, my God, that guy's naked, and his cock is three inches from her mouth. She looks in heaven. And I'm thinking, you know, I mean, I look back now, and that that was the era where you couldn't actually – put the cock in your mouth or like you had to stay three inches apart for a lot of those magazines. That's how innocent it was. You know, I'm like, Oh my God, I would never do that. I'm thinking that, but like, I feel my pussy's wet. Like I'm kind of turned on. And then my friend comes and I'm like, okay, thanks. You know, no, thanks. He gives me the card to the agent though. He's like, if you ever change your mind, tell him Greg Rome sent you. Cause he got like a $50 finder's fee. And I like put it in my pocket and I'm like, I could never do that. You know, come home a few weeks later. I have like rents due, phones due, blah, blah. I have no money. I'm like, well, maybe I'll just call the guy and see when in the next day, quit my two jobs. The rest is history. Here I am 36 years later and <laughs> my damn rent's not due anymore. <laughs> But that was it, and I just got into that beautiful, wonderful time of the video boom. Uh, They couldn't get enough girls in that era, or guys. I mean, it was just a beautiful, innocent era. What was it like uh, being that 18-year-old and the first time that you were walking on set knowing that you were going to have sex on screen? Was that scary? Were you excited? Well, for the first two months, I only did magazine layouts, mind you, so... You know, I remember going to the magazine layout. I think it was like for Swank or Velvet, one of the, you know, lower end ones, Jugs. And um, I was nervous, but not in that panicky way, like, oh, my God, they're going to rape me. They're going to take advantage. Because it was an older guy, Ron Vogel, uh, who was a photographer, and his daughter, Alexis, was the makeup artist. And there was something strangely serene about the whole thing. I was nervous as far as, you know, oh, my God, what if people find out, blah, blah, blah. 
But I, I wasn't nervous, like, oh, something bad's going to happen. I just thought, oh, I'll just do a few layouts. We got like $250 a layout back then. Pay off some bills, blah, blah, blah. It wasn't nerve-wracking at all. I totally got it after about the first five rolls of film. Um, then cut to two months later, I did walk onto my first. wasn't even called a film. It was called a loop, which was the 80s version of what Gonzo is today without all the degradation. Mm-hmm. But it was like, no script, walk on, just you know, say three lines and, and get into the sex scene. But it was beautiful sex it wasn't bitch slapping it wasn't spitting on me it wasn't donkey punching me it was just like a called a loop for swedish erotica number 57 and i was scared fucking shitless it was a whole different experience than going to like a magazine layout it was scary and again not because anyone was mean to me nothing it's just oh my god i'm fucking a stranger it's different than like standing you know on a set holding your boobs up and purring to the you know the whatever camera lens totally different like oh my god this guy and i was kind of virgin i wasn't a virgin but i'd only been with like five or six guys i wasn't that experienced i wasn't you know the kind of girl that was around the block a bunch of times before she was 18 i was kind of naive um it was nerve-wracking like if you ever see that scene it probably looks like someone had a shotgun to my head like i looked like a doe in the headlights and they're like christy move spread your legs come you know and i'm like I was almost paralyzed. I was so nervous, but I got through it and here I am. Yeah. I mean, I, I can really imagine I, a lot of people don't think about that when they're watching, uh, watching porn is like, there's like a lot of people in that room, like boom mics and cameras and all kinds of stuff. Yeah. That's a whole, that's gotta be really, uh, intimidating at first having so many people surrounding kind of just watching what you're doing. It was so scary. And not it's not like the boom man was jerking off or anything. They were all professionals. I you know, it's not like oh, you're fucking Ron Jeremy. He was the first guy I fucked on film. No, well, we're gonna all train you after. We're all gonna gangbang you after. It wasn't like that at all. It was so professional. It was so normal for such an abnormal situation. So you talked uh, about um you kind of being sort of uh, not as sexually experienced when you first kind of like started in the industry. So, um, what was it like doing new scenes with sexual, with sexual things that you haven't done before? Like, um, the first time that you had to do, do something you had never done in your personal life. How did you prepare for that? And, and how did you feel going in knowing that you were going to do something new? The first time after the first scene I did, my next scene was like a day later uh, for a big production company, Paradise Visuals, on Golden Blonde. And they said, okay, you'll be working with Jamie Gillis and Ginger Lynn. And I said, a girl? And I'd never been with a girl. And I was so excited, that nervous excited. I didn't know what to do with a girl. Come on. I, you know, I had no clue. And thank God it was Ginger because she knew I was a female virgin. And she took control And she's so sweet and sexual and soft. And like, she just guided me through in a sexy way. Like, okay, now Christy, I want to feel your lips on my nipples. Christy, I want to feel your fingers trailing. Like she walked me through it, but in a really sexy way. You'd never know watching it that she was actually giving me directions. Um, And it was amazing. And everything after that, I wasn't nervous. Like Ginger calmed me down and I thought, oh my God, how much fun is this? First time I was ever with two guys was on film. First time I was ever in an interracial was on film. First time I was ever in a gangbang was on film. It flowed though. It I was never nervous. It was an excitement nervous maybe, but not nervous nervous. And I learned so much about sex on camera. It was brilliant. That's definitely, I think, I think, uh, you sharing that about Ginger is definitely true. She just, she, she like, I, when I was talking to her, I said that she really brightens up a room, but she kind of puts everybody at ease. You know, when you, when you first meet somebody, it's a little bit, uh, you might be a little nervous or things like that. But when I just started talking to her, just, she just has a way of making everybody kind of just relax and chill. So that's kind of cool that she was able to do that with you on set. Um, Go ahead. It really, it really, I was going to say if, I mean, there were very few girls back then, but she was the, the looking back, 
out of those five or six that were really bigger names back then, Amberlynn, Tracy Lords, Ginger was the perfect one to break me in because she was soft and sweet and gentle and sexual. Where somebody like Tracy, who was amazing, I didn't mind working with her, but she may have been more like, come on, bitch, lick my fucking pussy. You know what <laughs> I mean? Like there, there may have been like a more of an edge to her, which I got down the road. But if that was my first time, it may have scared me a little bit. Yeah. So you, you talked about kind of like all these new experiences that you had uh, while your career was growing. Um, what of those experiences, like in that process, I'm assuming you're like kind of like finding more and more about your sexuality. What, what sexual experiences did you really like? And were there any of them that you were like, ah, this isn't for me. I'm not into this. I loved them all. There wasn't one that I look back on where I think, oh, I shouldn't have done that. I never did anal on film. Mm -hmm. Why? Because I don't even like it in my own personal life. So I never did anything that I was uncomfortable with. I never had two dicks in my ass. I never had two dicks in my pussy. I never, you know, like Mm -hmm. I only did stuff that I was genuinely interested. I was fascinated by, oh my God, two guys. Like how fucking amazing, how cool. And it was beautiful. It was in Dr. Desire with Billy D and Steve Drake. And it was the most explosive experience in the world. Like these two beautiful guys, one in my pussy, one in my mouth. Like it was all about me. Like I loved it. So I never had a bad experience because I never did anything that I would have felt uncomfortable with. There's a difference between that sexual excitement, nervous and dread. Mm-hmm. I never had dread for a scene. That's awesome. And I think that's like a, I think that really tells for maybe the time, the time, because, because, uh, there was less actors out there. You really could advocate for yourself and say, no, I I don't want to do that. Whereas I I've heard stories with other people now where there's like that pressure that you really need to do this scene or do something that you don't want to do. So. Ooh, see, I never had that, but again, in our era, they were just lucky to have some decent looking girls fucking on film. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like, they're like, really? You'll do this for $500? Like, they were just thankful to have a good-looking girl get naked and fuck on film. Now it's almost like, I don't want to use the word jaded, but it's almost topping. You couldn't get away with what we did in the 80s these days. It was beautiful. It was sexual. It was exotic. It was erotic. It was romantic. It wasn't a freak factor. It wasn't a circus. It wasn't a gag fest i mean no one fucking spit on me are you fucking kidding i would have cold cocked them (laughs) so you you got along pretty well with everybody that you worked with during that time everybody literally everybody we all loved and respected each other that's awesome so your as your career kind of grew you've you now have this long list of awards and accolades that you had and I was wondering what was it like to be that kind of 18-year-old girl who was just kind of like a, a normal everyday person to suddenly being this star within the industry? It felt good, and I'll tell you why. I was at, I moved out at 17. I wasn't talking to my parents. Never no no victim stories. I never was abused. I never got molested. Blah blah blah. Just I was ready to leave. They were ready for me to leave. My mom was getting divorced. My dad was getting divorced from a you know like I was caught in the middle. Um, so I left. So porn people became my family. They really became my extended family. We had Thanksgiving together. Um, we'd go to Hawaii for Christmas. Like. They really became my family. That's awesome. Um, throughout your career, there were periods of time where you would like retire temporarily and then you would return back to the industry. And I was wondering um, what what was it that inspired you to, for those periods where you retired and what inspired you to come back? Mm, I'm, sorry, I'm also eating my salad. That's so unprofessional of me. Um, Okay. The first time I quit, I got in September of 1984. And then I quit in April of 1985. So there was that, what, eight, nine-month window that I was in it. That was that video boom, as we talked about. 
I literally, between box covers, magazines, appearances, videos, I was working 29 out of 30 to 31 days. After seven, eight months of that, I was worn out. Like, I was exhausted. And I was seeing a guy, and he kind of wanted me to quit. And I, I was ready to quit. I was literally exhausted. I was so tired. And then I worked for my dad for four years. And it was fun at first. And then I knew that after four years, it was time to move on. And I realized I wasn't done with my porn career. Like, I kept in touch with a few people, even when I was working at my dad's. Did a magazine layout here or there. And then when I was just done working at my dad's, I said, I'm ready to come back. So that was my first comeback. And then um, I worked about 92, 89 till 92. And then I had a boyfriend and I thought, oh, I'll quit, you know, because it's hard to have a relationship. He was great, though. He never said you have to quit, blah, blah, blah. And I quit for like two years. And then I thought, I'm not still not done with this. Like, I am not ready to quit. And um, so that's when I came back in 1995. And then I worked till about 98. And then you know what? I swear to God, Jonathan Doe, I think that that is when I was finally done with films for no other reason that I'd had my good 13 years, you know, maybe a year off, four years off. But I was finally done with that part of my career. And I don't know why it wasn't like it was turning and vivid let me go. I was still a vivid girl. I was just done. It was like, okay, loved it, milked it, enjoyed it, ready to move on. As someone who's uh, been in the industry as long as you have, um, how do you feel like the industry's kind of like evolved and changed? Like, do people fuck on camera different? Has the inner workings of production changed? Have fans changed? From what I could tell, because I'm on Vivid Radio every day um, on Sirius XM Channel 415. <clears throat> from what I hear from the girls, uh, there's that top 5% that's kicking ass. The Abella Dangers, Angela White, you know, there's that top, top 5%. A lot of them are hungry out there. There's more girls now than ever, of course. And they're all trying to make it. And it's it's tough. It's it's real. A lot of them are hungry. A lot of them are, you know, not doing too well in it. The other thing is the sex scenes have become a lot more hardcore. I mean, a lot more. Um, the fans expect free, I've noticed. Even, uh, you know, I had a guy call that was going to on my radio show. He was going to go to the one at the Exoticas. He's like, can I get a free picture with you? And I said, no, absolutely. Where did the word free come in? Do I like say to the gas company, oh, I don't really want to pay my bill today. Like it's still, I've noticed that there's a lot of free obviously out there with the internet. So that was a new concept to me that people expected a lot of free stuff. And I think these girls have to do a lot for free before they could charge. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think that that, concept of getting things for free has just generalized into like all different kinds of industries like I work in like the horror industry and so many people expect so many free things or and the thing is is that that makes me so frustrated whether it's porn or horror or anything like that is if you're taking it for free you're taking money away from the creators that create the content that you like and so you're kind of hurting the industry that you really really enjoy if you really like this an adult actress and you steal all of her, you download all of her scenes and don't give any money to her. Like what, what incentive does she have to continue to work in that industry? And so I think people don't really recognize that. You know, I don't, I think that I'm going to agree with you a hundred percent on that, Jonathan, they don't get it. Like, and yet I don't blame the viewers because they're conditioned to everything is free. Whereas when I grew up, you fucking paid for everything. I never went to Music Plus and or Blockbuster and expected them to give me a free CD. You paid for it. One thing. So, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, no. You go. Uh, one of the like I think more obvious like evolutions within porn is uh, 
in the 80s everybody had a bush and now people have well there was a i think in the 90s like a brazilian was more popular um but now now it's been categorized into subcategories so if i want a bush then i'm gonna look up look up yeah bush look up whatever and i was wondering for you who've who's been in the career when did you notice that that switch happening from people having a bush to to suddenly you're having to shave when i came back in 1989 i realized the mid 80s bush was long gone very few girls still had that full bush it was trimmed up it was uh not as long it was kind of manicured on the sides and the top and as the years went on then the 90s came by by early 90s mid 90s everyone had the landing strip they had a triangle they had uh but they still had some kind of a hair for the most part from what i could remember it was just way more manicured and then came the late 90s, new millennium, where the shaving became the rage. I mean, bald, prepubescent, barely 18. And then the bush kind of came back in like 2010. It's kind of come full circle. But there was definitely that time where shaved was the ultimate. Like, it, you know, so it just it's a big cycle, just different styles. But I don't think that full-on 70s and 80s bush will ever fully make a comeback unless, like you said, it's for a kink video, a fetish video, a niche. Yeah. You talked you talked a little bit about um the the barely 18 thing that people were into, but I also noticed uh, that, that um, MILF is a big thing now and cougars are a big thing now and... Um, is that a is that a newer thing that you noticed, or was that was that present in in the eighties as well? No, barely eighteen. Well, we were all barely eighteen. Tracy wasn't eighteen, but it was all just kind of like young, cute girls. There wasn't like cougar. There wasn't barely. It was just these young, cute girls. That was it. Then I noticed that it was Clive McLean for Hustler that started the Barely Legal series, along with like Max Hardcore, like where they got these really young looking girls. That was more like late 90s to my recollection. And then in the new millennium, about 2003, 2004, that's when the MILF Cougar thing kind of started kicking in. And I think it's just everything now. I think now it's just a fucking hodgepodge. But it's interesting how it turned. Like when I first got my job on Playboy Radio in 2005, I said, oh, Vicky Vett will be calling in. And I said, okay, who's that? Because I'd been out of the game for a few years. Oh, she's the hottest MILF. And I'm like, what? Oh, MILF. I remember that from that movie, American Pie. And then um, Vicky Vett called. And I'd been on Playboy Radio for maybe a month. I'd never seen the board light up like that before. They fucking loved her, the listeners. <laughs> loved her. She was like, I'd been there for a month. I'd never seen a girl, whether she was 18 or what. And I'm like, okay, I get it. This whole MILF thing is like huge right now on the scene. And then, you know, then a lot of MILFs came out or cougars, whatever they want to be called. But there's still that that niche for the young girls, too. It just kicked open the doors to a whole nother uh, category. Now I've noticed in the past four years, five years, gilfs. <laughs> you know, grannies I love to fuck. And some of them are like 60, 70, and they're fucking hot. Some are, some are not. But, I mean, you know, some are definitely like they'll give an 18-year-old a rival for her body. It's just everything's accepted now. As long as it's legal, everything is accepted now. I think that it's actually like really good for the industry because someone it allows someone to like continue their career like you can start in at 18 and you can do it until you're a gilf and as long as you want to as long as you love that job and you want to keep doing it you can do it forever and there's not like an end cap anymore so I think that's pretty cool. Oh, I agree. I remember about 10 years ago I was interviewing Nina Hartley on radio and she said, "Oh my god, Christy, the whole milf has given me like another surge in my career it's amazing um anything is accepted it really is i do daily readouts uh promo for vivid radio for vivid tv and that's how i know what the trends are because it's whatever they're showing for that week and that's you know again about four years ago it was kind of the uh 
guilt, like grandpa or granny fucking. Before that, it was the stepmom, stepdad. Like, you get these surges of what's popular. And then they kind of fade away a little bit and something else will come around. So, you know what? You got to keep creating something different and new to keep fans, you know, viewers interested, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's pretty cool that, like, there's just this acceptance of different kinks now. And you can pretty much type in anything as long as it's legal and, and there's uh, there's something for it, which is pretty cool. Uh-huh. I agree. I agree. It just evolves all the time, this business, whether it's for the better or worse. That's, you know, a personal decision everyone has to make. But there's always something new going on. Like the new craze is girls are now owning their own stuff. Thanks to OnlyFans. OnlyFans has given us girls, guys, the talent across the board, this new level of owning stuff. Like I think when the pandemic hit, I really dealt, you know, dove into my OnlyFans. I was doing, or still am, my live shows, personal videos. And for a lot of these girls that were going to work and getting their whatever they make, I don't even know, $1,000, I have no idea. Now they can own it. And I think that the pandemic and everyone kind of like really got into their OnlyFans. By the way, mine's OnlyFans.com slash Christy Canyon 1-1. That they're sitting back now and they're like, oh, maybe I don't need to hustle to get work anymore. I can hustle my own site. I think it was a blessing in disguise for a lot of talent. Yeah, I mean, it's it really has to be great that you can just literally work in your living room shoot some scenes and leave and you know and shoot with your friends and you don't have to worry about traffic and going into the set and worrying about time you can be like uh after dinner i think i'm gonna shoot some stuff so or am i gonna or am i gonna get there and instead of a girl girl it's an all-man anal gangbang and believe you me i've heard those stories out there it's just it's a peace of mind to us performers that we can own it now um, so kind of going back to your, the earlier parts of your, well, your career as a whole, you've worked with a lot of major pioneers and, and major people within the industry, like, uh, Ginger Lynn and Tracy Lords and Peter North. And I was wondering out of all the people that you've worked with, who are some memorable people that you had really good experience working with? In the eighties there, and I don't mean to be like this Pollyanna, but pretty much everybody, I mean, Bunny Blue comes to mind. She was a girl in the 80s that was just cute as a button. Um, Heather Wayne, of course, Tracy Lords, of course, Ginger Lynn. I don't remember ever saying to my agent, oh, my God, I don't want to work with that girl. I loved, I'm going to go with 100% of the talent. I mean, there were a few guys that the scenes just weren't as good because they came too fast or they, you know, maybe one couldn't get it up, something like that. But of course, my favorite guys, Peter North in the 80s, uh, Tom Byron, Mark Wallace, Dan the Man or Dan T. Bone. I mean, I loved them all. They were all, Frank James was another one. Um, The guys were all great back then, 99%. Again, there was one guy I'm thinking of in a movie called Kissing Cousins. He came within like a minute. And that was kind of a bad scene just because, you know, you can't get into it knowing the guy's going to splooge in a second. Mm-hmm. Like he wasn't a true coxman, put it that way. <laughs> Talking a little bit about that, um, in, the, in the 80s, you guys really didn't have like Viagra wasn't being utilized that utilized back then. And now I've I've heard that it's being used a lot more. And so what were some of the challenges or you guys faced in terms of people having a hard time getting it up or people um, finishing too early? Like, how, how would you finish the scene if a guy couldn't get it up or if, or if they finished too early? The one time the guy finished too early, I don't even know his name. He was a one-hit wonder. Um, they just kept looping the two seconds that he, they got out of him. Do you know what I mean? Like, they just kept looping it. And I remember the guy came in my pussy. And they freaked out. Now it would be called a cream pie. Mm-hmm. But back then, they're like, oh, fuck, he came in her pussy. What the fuck? We wanted to see the money shop, blah, blah, blah. So they're like, Christy, kegel it out, kegel it out, push it out. And then I remember, like, the camera just zoomed in on, like, his load in my puss and on the bedspread. Again, 
it would have been like totally accepted today as a cream pie. Back then they freaked. As far as guys that couldn't get it up, it was rare. These guys were coxmen. They came with their A game. You never saw a problem out of Peter North. You never had an issue with your top guys. Ron Jeremy, uh, uh, whatever, Tom Byron, Mark Wallace, Dan T. Mann. Like these guys, they owned it. They knew what they were doing. Who knows where their mind went to get it up and, you know, get a pop shot for the third time that day, but they did it. And they did it like a true coxman. Once in a while, you'd have a guy that couldn't get it up. And it was, uh, and I don't, he's dead now. I don't mean to be mean. Harry Reams comes to mind. Great actor from the 70s. I think he got into, uh, he used to say, oh, it's my allergies toward the end of his career. And I think that was code for he's done too much coke. <laughs> um that was the only time that I noticed of guys had problems. And it was like, you know, they were sniffly and they, and they called it allergies. Besides Harry Reams, right at the end, because I had some great scenes with him, most guys, 95% could get it up because that was their fucking job. You get your fucking cock up or you don't have a job. We, we don't care what you look like. We don't care about... You need to get hard. So, you know, unless they got into maybe, uh, you know, extra activities and, uh, you know, maybe dabbled in drugs. I don't know. I'm just saying they always got it up. Did you ever uh, have anybody who wasn't able to finish or anything like that where you had to uh, use fake cum or anything like that before? Oh, yes. In Hot in the City, it was my comeback film in 1989. And it was this great looking guy and i have no idea what his name was and i did a magazine layout with him softcore no insertion and he was beautiful and his cock was fucking hard it was thick it was long i'm like oh i can't wait to work with this guy in hot in the city so i said to the director oh my god hire this guy i so want to fuck him on film well he couldn't get it up because there you are in a magazine layout you got your photographer you got the makeup girl in the back room and you that's it suddenly now he got to the set and there's 20 people like we were saying earlier you got the boom man you got the catering you got the dp you got the bu -bu -bu -bu. he couldn't get it up to save his career which wasn't a career because he never worked after that and they did that was the first time in 1989 and not in the city where they had to fake a cum shot and they like mixed sugar and condensed milk and blew it through a straw on my tits you know that kind of thing but um Normally, no one had a problem. It happened every so often. Blake Palmer had a problem They uh, in Savage Fury 2. And so they had Ron Jeremy, Stuntcock. They had a, Ron Jeremy do the close-ups. And then for the wide angle, they'd have like a soft core of Blake Palmer humping me. But there was no fucking wood. It was all Ron Jeremy's cock. That's funny. <laughs> but... Um... Yeah, I've always wondered how they, how they do that because, I mean, there are situations that occur. And when I was interviewing uh, Ginger Lynn, she talked about that she was dating someone and that she wanted to have sex with them, like, offset. And they t told her no because they needed to save their fluids. And so I wondered if, uh, if there was those situations where someone maybe fucked too much the night before and, and either they didn't, they didn't give the money shot that they wanted or they just weren't able to get it up. So that's, that's pretty funny. Um, you talked about working with Tracy Lords and for people listening who don't know about Tracy Lords, Tracy Lords was a pretty famous, um, adult actress who we found out was, or people found out was, um, underage while she was working in the industry. And I was wondering as someone who's worked directly with her, um, how did you feel about when you heard about the scandal and were you worried about your own career having worked with her? Well, I had already quit. I quit in like April of 85. She was still in the business. And um, so it didn't affect my career, if anything. And I'll tell you why in a minute. It was a good thing for me. Um, I was shocked, shocked, shocked. I, uh, no one knew except for Tracy and maybe her boyfriend or whoever. No one knew. She fooled the entire business. And I look back and I go, okay, come on, Christy. You know, she was 15. Oh, no, she acted like a 21-year-old. Like, she was so smart and sly and manipulative. I'm not saying those are bad qualities, 
but she knew what she was doing. And we'll never know the real story. And in the end, who really cares? No, you know, I don't think anyone went to jail. I think one guy did because the idiot still sold her tapes long after he knew he shouldn't. He deserved to go to jail. But um, the only way it affected me was in a roundabout way, a good way. All my films, and I did a couple dozen with her, were pulled. So when I came back in 1989, they were like, oh, my God, we love her. We love Christy. And half of her films were pulled. So it made me more desirable because, oh, my, they couldn't get Educating Mandy anymore. They couldn't get Night of Loving Dangerously. I was finally able to, you know, to be watched again. Um, It didn't affect me. I personally don't care. It didn't, I didn't lose a dime over it. Um, I just, I'm sorry that she was such a bitter soul about the business because I read her book. I stomached it just to see, I mean, it was so, so bad and it was, you know what? And again, I have nothing against Tracy. What I have against her is that she's a fucking liar. Her book is a piece of shit lie. No one, no one, like she said, certain key people, oh, they drugged me out. Bullshit. You're a liar. And if you hated your life so much, oh, woe is me, wah, 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 then why do you still use that name, Tracy Lords? That's not your given name. Do you know what I mean? It's the fucking hypocrisy in her that I didn't like. But yeah. on film, she was fucking amazing to work with. Uh, what do you think about uh, kind of the the thought that um, Ginger Lynn has that she it was all kind of like planned ahead of time that she went into the industry uh, and that there was like footage of her doing stuff behind the scenes before she she was outed as being underage. It wouldn't surprise me. It wouldn't surprise me. There was something real fishy about all of that. I don't know. We'll never know. We will literally never know because Tracy has proven sadly to be a, such a liar that I don't believe anything she says now. She lied about the business. They weren't, there was one guy in my whole career, one guy on set that offered me Coke, a director. That's nothing. Do you know what I mean? Out of the hundreds and thousands of people, one person. So her whole thing, oh, it was all drugs and drinking and bullshit. I was there at the same time, bitch, and that did not happen. So that's, I don't, I'll never believe what she says, so we're never really going to know the truth, are we? Yeah, yeah. Um, so you talked about Tracy's book, but you've also written an autobiography, Lights, Camera, Sex, and I was wondering what you could tell us about about your book. Oh my God. Well, I did it. I quit dancing on the road in about 2001. And I thought, oh man, what do I do? Like my whole life has been porn, whether it was stripping, whether it was films. Like I think I worked at Bullock's, which hasn't been around for 40 years for like a week at a department store. So I thought, okay, what do I do? Like personally, I'm such a free spirit. Now it would be hard for me to have to go to a nine to five job. And then um, I went to a writing class and I noticed all my weekly writing assignments were about the business or childhood. And my teacher was like, oh, my God, Christy, these stories like you can't make these porn stories up. They're so funny. They're so good. You should like bridge some of these stories, do little, you know, connecting stories and write a book. And I did. And that's how I got my job on Playboy Radio because I went on to promote it. And then Julie Ashton was quitting. And they're like, do you want her job? So, um, my book is just about how I got in the business, my childhood to a degree. Again, nothing, no woe is me. I was abused. Just like, okay, this is how a girl from a middle class, upper middle class family gets into porn when it was underground, when it was illegal, when it was frowned upon, you know, it's just a fun book. It was very, uh, cleansing in a way like I used to sit in the office and write stories and laugh so hard other times I'd find myself a little choked up like it was just like therapy for me yeah I mean you have you have a you've lived a life that many people haven't so I'm really glad that you actually wrote that book I just ordered it on Amazon I'm gonna give it a read so (laughs) oh it's I loved it I really really loved it it was so much fun to write I was gonna write a follow-up and then I got busy on radio and never did quite the second book. I think I was a one-trick pony, but what a great trick it was. So now you are this 
big icon within the industry. And when you first started, I was wondering, um, like now, now we've got social media and all that stuff. So if someone gets into the industry, um, it's easier for your name to, to get out there. But, but, uh, back in the eighties, um, there wasn't, there wasn't all that. And I was wondering, uh, when did people, when did people within your personal life become aware of what you were doing? Instantly. I mean, I remember doing magazine layouts and thinking, oh, no one's ever going to watch this. No one's ever going to buy fucking Swank magazine or Jugs or Velvet. But I grew up in Los Angeles, and when that first person found out, it was wildfire. Everybody knew. Uh, What are you going to (laughs) do? I didn't care. That was the beauty of it. Like, I didn't care what somebody in ninth grade thought of me. Yeah. Because I was having fun. I was loving it. I was enjoying it. That was my new set of friends. That was my new family. And I, I had no, oh, no, everyone knows. I didn't care at all. In fact, it was kind of like, yeah, that's fucking me. That's me. And how much fun am I having? Yeah, I mean, that, that that's uh, something that I talked about with Ginger as well is kind of like the not worrying about how people respond uh, when they find out about about being in that industry or anything like that. And I think it's really interesting that something that so many people consume that is so widespread um, is still kind of like a taboo topic with so many people. And there's kind of like a hypocrisy that everybody watches porn, but then uh, it's still like... Like I said with I said with Ginger Lynn that she's like a household name that no one talks about, and I feel like the same is is kind of with you. Like you're you're a household name, but there's people who might have guilt around the industry or things like that. And I think that it's good to just I think there I think that things need to change and people need to just kind of embrace their sexuality. So you know what you're you're always going to have the group of people that don't admit it that don't like it. You're going to have the group that loves it, that admits it. You're always going to have all sides of it. Um, It's always the people that loathe us that are the biggest porn watchers, though. Whenever anybody hates it, it's because they're trying to hide something in their own life about it, if that makes sense. No, I, I, I definitely agree. I mean, there's like there's like statistics on some of the most like conservative parts of the world and the most popular the most popular porn that they watch and so it's <laughs> it's it's really it's just funny <laughs> i think for years and i think it's probably even still true um on my radio show we do like sex facts you know once a month and i remember a fact that always comes in is utah is always the number one state that downloads porn <laughs> utah you know so i've come at this stage to not if someone doesn't like it i don't care i just don't like it great don't as long as you know it's legal what the fuck do people care what i'm doing what did people care really when clinton was fucking lewinsky who cares she was over 18 it's none of our beeswax it really isn't i totally agree with that i just it's funny that to an extent, some people still live in this like, I don't know, this judgmental period when they when yeah. deep down inside they're still they still engage in all that stuff. Um, even when even when Stormy Troop Stormy Trooper Stormy Daniels was fucking, uh, you know, what is that? Uh, President Trump. Who cares? That's between Melania and Trump. I don't care as long. I mean, if they were like, yeah, they were on Epstein's island, and here's the proof. That's creepy, and they should be punished and, pers- you know, prosecuted. But if everyone's over 18, who the fuck are you to go in someone's bedroom and tell them what to do? Exactly, exactly. Um, so, move- so now you've been really working in radio, and I was wondering what kind of got you into radio. And you've been doing it for quite some time, and so I was wondering, like, what is what is it about radio that you like so much? Because you've been doing it for over a decade now. About 15 years. Yeah. 15 years. Oh, I got into it, like I said earlier, when my book came out, I went on a publicity tour. And Playboy Radio was one of the many radio stations that I did my, um, you know, 
trying to promote my book. And I loved it. There was something fun about the callers. Like I remember looking at the two hosts for Playboy at the time, Julie Ashton and another girl, Tiffany Granite, and thinking, what a great job you've got. How fun to come in here and you take calls and you just talk about your own stories and then and then like literally a month later, they're like, Julie Ashton's leaving. Do you want your her job? I love it. Why? Because it's your show. You can say legally anything you want. You can have whatever guests you want on. It's just there's something really freeing about it. I could go in in my yoga gear like I am today. I could go in and dress up like it doesn't matter. No one could see me. I mean, now the show I do with Ginger is different. But radio, I love. I was made for radio. I can talk about anything. I can. I, I just I love radio so, so much. Uh, now, the thing I'm doing with Ginger, patreon.com slash who let the girls out. Now, there's video there. So now when we go into the studio, and I'm, I'm doing both. I'm doing my Vivid Radio as well as patreon.com slash who let the girls out. But they're apples and oranges. One is on Sirius XM. The other one, you join Patreon. But you get the audio and the video. Like, for years, people said, are you really doing what you say you're doing on video or on radio, blah, blah, blah? Now there's proof that we are. But even back then, our producer used to take pictures, and they're all up at my Christy, at my OnlyFans.com slash Christy Canyon, one, one. So there's proof. Like, But now it's so fun because Ginger and I are like little 18-year-olds just exploring whatever we want. Like She's like, I wonder what it's like to pee in a diaper. And I'm like, well, let's find out. And I bring in diapers, and we pee. Like, we can do whatever we want. There's no one to tell us, as long as it's, you know, legal, there's no one to tell us that we can't do it. So we do it. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, one of my, I guess one of my final questions is for anyone listening to the podcast right now who might be interested in getting into the industry, what advice do you have for them? Why would be the first question. <laughs> it's not what it used to be. It, I'm not lying. And, and the new girls can debunk me. They could tell me why it is. It used to be very glamorous. You would show up on set. You'd have a catered breakfast. You would eat your catered breakfast. You'd sit in hair and makeup. They'd work on you for two hours. Then you'd do your scene. You'd have catered lunch. I mean, it was seriously like being on a movie set. There just happened to be sex involved in it. Now I hear, from what I hear, of course, there's still good companies out there. There's a handful, maybe three big productions. But for the most part, you do your own hair and makeup. You get there. No dialogue. You get in there. You, you know, get a dick shoved in your face, fucked, you know, in your ass. And then they're like, okay, bye. Like, to me, from what I see in here, the glamour isn't in there anymore. And maybe the girls are like, who gives a fuck, you old lady, about glamour? We don't care. We just want to, you know. Um... I think that people should know that it's not what it used to be. Chances are you're not going to make it to that top 8% because there's so much talent now. How are you going to stand out? Not, oh, I'm going to stand out because I'm going to do, you know, 20 dicks up my ass. That's not standing out. That's tearing your body apart. Mm -hmm. you got to find your niche. The only girls that I find that are really successful are the Spiegler girls, who's an agent. And if Mark Spiegler accepts you as one of his girls, you're going to make it. He's great. He's honest. He hustles his girls. He gets them work. And, but a lot of the girls just, they really limp along. Yeah. And, and I remember when I first started Playboy Radio in 05, all the girls, oh, I'm going to be the next Jenna Jameson, blah, blah. No, you're not. You're not. Do you know what I mean? Get in it because you have a hair up your ass. You want to be wild. You want to do something crazy. Don't get in it for any other reason. Like, oh, I'm going to become a Hollywood star after. No, you're not. You might be lucky and get a TNA video. You know, you might be lucky and get, you know, in a horror film. Ginger Lynn does tons of them. But don't think you're going to get in and like Steven Spielberg is going to find you and hire you. It's not going to happen. It's It never has. There were girls, Tracy, Ginger, uh, Ashlyn Gear, Jenna Jameson, who, you know, they, hey, I give them credit. They got some mainstream. But overall, the big companies aren't going to go for a porn star because they might not care, but guess who's going to care? All the advertisers. 
Tide will pull their ads. Coca-Cola will pull their ads. McDonald's, because it's still got the stigma attached to it. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, also the tr- the transition from from porn to the mainstream, like you you need to be able to act. And I, when I was talking to Ginger, she talked about how hard it was for her to be able to like say her lines and all of that kind of stuff. And she actually had to go get like coach, get coached by somebody to work on that stuff. So you, you may be like a really big name within, within the adult entertainment industry, but if you can't act, then it's going to be difficult to make that transition over to whatever it is that you want to do. If it involves acting. It's a tough road. Ginger has learned to walk that line though she's got her group of people she always has you know a project in the works but um it's it's just a tougher business now i think and if nothing else there's just so much talent now like when we started there were two agents there's like two thousand now half of them i'm sure aren't credited but you know it's just a different business like a lot of stuff it's not the world's the same but somehow porn's the only thing that changed we live in a whole different world. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, um, do you have any final things that you'd like to say to your fans or anything that you want to plug before we come to an end? God, just that I'm I'm so glad that I've been around for 36 years. Still besties with Ginger Lynn, who's been around 37 years. Check out our new show, patreon.com slash who let the girls out. And for some personal one-on-one with your girl, Christy Canyon, Go to myonlyfans.com slash ChristyCanyon11. Awesome. Well, thank you, Christy. I really enjoyed our conversation, and I hope you have a good rest of your day. Thank you. You too. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Uneasy Terrain Explorers Club. If you're interested in checking out my other work, please subscribe to my YouTube channel, Cinema's Underbelly, where I analyze and review obscure, obscene, and controversial cinema as well as check out my label, Putrid Productions. Until next time, this is the Uneasy Terrain Explorers Club.